The Weekly Harvest, an in-depth look at the Brandon Weekings and the WHL. Washman trying to come up with it for Allison. Here's Allison right in front. He scores! Brandon Junior Hockey fans, you've waited two decades for this. In the league's 50th anniversary, your Wheat Kings are the champions. Good week once again. Welcome to episode 48 of the Weekly Harvest Podcast. We talk all things Brandon Wheat Kings. Weekly Harvest brought to you by Coors Light, the official beer of the Brandon Wheat Kings. Please drink responsibly. My name is Chris Falco. He's Brandon Crow. Uh, Crow, normally when we do this podcast, we always do it the day before it gets released. But for the first time ever, we're recording this on the same day it's released. Technically, it's now just past 1230 in the morning. We really wanted to get this pod uh, done after the uh, latest Week King games, there's nothing like, you know, releasing information that, that, that that's already old. But uh, so it's late, but we're here. Before we get into that, how are you? I'm good. I'm, uh, I, I was just saying that uh, I was certainly excited for tonight. Uh, really, for whatever reason, the rivalry with Saskatoon, it, it gets me too. I don't know what it is, but if there's any team that I like being a part of wins against, it's against Saskatoon. Uh, certainly didn't turn out that way here tonight. And we'll talk a little more about the game later, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, it's weird. You know, you can attest to it. It's 1230. I'm eating my dinner. I got my dinner here beside me. I got, I know. still haven't had supper yet. Mine, mine's exactly. still sitting in the fridge. So I'll be eating after we do this at These like games one, one, one thirty in the morning. <laughs> uh, you know, very, very strange after a normal weekend game, like when you work in hockey, especially at a home game, I can't sleep for hours after no. you're just on this natural buzz. Even after a loss, it's hard to get down anywhere close to like even two hours after you actually leave the building. But after a win, I'm buzzing for a long time. Uh, it's a little bit different this year, but it's still very much kind of the same. Like it's this late. Uh, I feel like I'm still full of energy. That's why we said be glad to, you know, still do the pod after because like, you know, we could, we could, we could talk about it. But, uh, uh, these late nights are certainly weird though during the weekdays as they start to add up. Uh, you know, cause like it's, Monday night, Tuesday morning here, and and here we're doing it. We're back at it again in two days. It's not like this is on our weekends, but uh, you know what? It's still weeking hockey, and just glad that uh, for another podcast we get to talk about it. A couple of uh, big wins for the Brandon Wee Kings heading into this game. So before we talk about what happened uh, tonight, because there have been a couple of games since our last pod, uh, let's break down what happened on the weekend as the Wheaties picked up a couple of big wins. Certainly, uh, and it all started Thursday night uh, with Swift Current, um, Brandon meeting them for the first time in a long time. Uh, of course, they moved over to the Central Division last year into Alberta, so you didn't get to play them eight times like we had in the last handful of years, but uh, started things off with a big victory there, 4-1. Uh, that uh, was a nice bounce back from Tuesday's loss to Prince Albert. Uh, big 4-1 win uh, against Swift on Thursday, and then into the big game Saturday. That was the highlight of the hub so far. Connor Bedard, uh, that was the whole story going into it. Mm-hmm. Brandon held him off the score sheet until an errant pass from Ridley Gregg sent Bedard in on a breakaway. He finished the night with one goal. But uh, Brandon with a huge overtime victory over uh, Regina on Saturday. Like, just with, perfect. With end. one of the goals of the hub as well. Nolan, Nolan Ritchie with that amazing backhand. Now, because it was the Pats broadcast, and as you know, in the office, we're, we have the, the, the TV feed going, like the online stream, so that we can clip and post it. So unfortunately, we didn't get to hear your call at the end. We did get to hear what, what Phil Andrews thought about the, about the no call that, that led to the goal. Um, what was your initial reaction when you saw it live and then when you watched the replay? Did your opinion change? Uh, not really. I mean, it's weird because the way the booth is set up, and this is what's absolutely comical about this, is that so Phil is on my left in his booth. 
calling the game on radio. I'm in the middle. And then on my right is Rod Peterson, who we've had on this podcast, and Darren DuPont calling the game for Access Television. Now, when that goal went in, Rod went absolutely bananas to my right, and I couldn't figure out why he was so mad. Like, he was furious at the non-call, and it all happened so quickly. I didn't really notice. I just saw two guys fall. So at, at, in real time, I didn't see any missed penalty or dive or whatever. Those two guys were all up in arms about it. I didn't see it. So once Rod was all wound up, uh, I, I went back, looked at the Jumbotron, and watched the replay. And obviously, Ridley, Greg, and Kyle Walker, they ran into each other. I don't think there was any malicious. I don't think Ridley was trying to get in his way. You could actually see Ridley kind of move his butt forward to give Walker a path around him. Walker and him clipped a little bit. I think Walker tried to sell it. That's what Phil said as well. The Pats agreeing that his own player tried to sell a call, didn't get the call. As a result, the Pats were caught with a guy deep, and Nolan Ritchie goes pure, silky smooth to the backhand top, wins the game, game over. But it certainly created a ton of uh, t- ton of discussion here in Saskatchewan. Obviously, Rod Peterson's kind of the king of media here in Saskatchewan with his show and everything. He put it out on Twitter, and there was a ton of discussion, people talking. People thought it was a dive, people that didn't. But anyway, it was an exciting way to finish the game off, and Nolan Ritchie uh, capping off another great night, uh, and he scored again here tonight. So, um, yeah, it was a great weekend, and setting up a busy three-game uh, stretch here this week that all started tonight against Saskatoon, but it wasn't I, a great start tonight. Here I really wanted to clip back that highlight of the fall, do it in slow motion, and put some like creepy conspiracy music underneath, and then comment <laughs> on Rod Peterson's post. Because if you ask me, when I put it in slow motion, at least on my phone, I it was it it, it was more than obvious. It was it was not a a, a trip that led to it. But uh, regardless, it was a beautiful goal by Nolan Ritchie, uh, and then tonight. Ben McCartney, almost as if he was taking notes from that last game, uh, a very similar in that you almost think that he has no room, and before you know it, the puck is off the backhand and it's going, uh, you know, top top bar and in. Uh, it was the Wheat Kings' highlight of the night tonight. Uh, one of the one of the few real real highlights from this game versus the Saskatoon Blades. As much as you can take all the positives out of those out of those two games that happened over the weekend, uh, like we were kind of saying, a lot of that sort of evaporated early in this game, and they had to kind of fight their way back into it the whole time came real close came real close pulling into within that uh, within the one goal in the third period uh, the empty netter is what of course sealed it for Saskatoon but uh, I mean all in all Crow there's going to be these nights like we talked about where there's games every couple of days um, you're, you're you know a younger team you're going to have some efforts that um, that aren't up to par there's going to be some some misplays uh, but it felt like it was a missed opportunity coming off of those two games for them to kind of cement their position in the division. Yeah, I think a lot of people have been trying to figure out who's the good teams here. And I think people think Prince Albert's got a good team, although losing Caden Gooley due to a a broken hand, that hurts. Uh, People think Winnipeg's okay. Saskatoon's obviously real good. They haven't lost in regulation yet. Moose Jaw's gotten off to a great start. So people were kind of wondering, what is Brandon? Where are they? What's their position here now? This is another one of those losses where people are going to leave the rink questioning, what kind of team are they? Because, again, too many penalties. Power play wasn't good. Goaltending, Kruger was okay, but it wasn't his best effort. And it was just one of those nights where they fell behind too early. It was a slow start. You've heard Don say in the post-game show on the radio, he wasn't happy with the start. And how many times already through six games has he said he wasn't happy with the start? Probably five. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously we're a quarter of the way in. We're six games through. There's, It's a learning curve. These guys are just figuring it out. We can't be too hard on them. We can't be too critical because, again, these guys haven't played in a year. I'm not perfect on the radio. You guys aren't perfect in the office either. But at the end of the day, this Brandon team has got the talent. They can do it. It's just a matter of putting it all together. They got all the tools. It's just about putting them all in the toolbox together here. And I think, you know, you got Moose Jaw coming up here, back-to-back Moose Jaw, Winnipeg. It's a tough test here, but 
I think if, if they can start, you know, putting the pieces of the game that's been good all the way around, I think they're going to be an okay team here and really contend, stay in that top spot in this East division. Well, and then looking at the division standings, it definitely helped today that Swift Current actually got their first victory, not just of their hub, but the first victory in quite a while, even going back to last season. But they they uh, upset, we'll call it an upset, the, the Prince Albert Raiders. So that helps keep uh, PA back there. Winnipeg is riding that four-game win streak. And, of course, as we know, Saskatoon still hasn't lost uh, in, in, in regulation. So uh, a couple of big games coming up, including, like you said, that uh, second edition of the Battle of Manitoba. Certainly Wednesday afternoon, Moose Jaw. Uh, we'll have that game for you on the radio. Uh, I am the home broadcaster that night as well. Brandon's the home team, so if you're streaming the game online, you'll have the CKLQ broadcast. You're going to plug uh, yourself in this time? Yeah. Jesus, what a mess. <laughs> so there's, there's not, literally... Not, not to throw you under the bus on the pod, oh, but we talk about God, all things, feels... including behind the scenes. So like, just for the first three, four minutes of the broadcast tonight, we did not have Crow, and we, <laughs> and we, and we assumed it was an issue, of course, with the production team in Regina doing so many games that something happened. So I was texting the Regina guy, <laughs> and he goes, Crow didn't plug it in. You can blame him. So that's why we had no, some fun on Twitter. There's, there's two outlets on the back of my board. Number one and number two. And the webcast, the online stream, always gets plugged into number one. It gets, no matter where I am, if I'm in Brandon or in Portland, it goes into number one. For whatever reason today, I plugged it into number two. Well, number two isn't connected to anything. <laughs> it's, just, it's just nothing. It's just a dead port. So I, I noticed something was strange early on. Like 30 seconds in, I heard the press box door behind me open. And then close. And I felt someone was behind me. And I was like, oh, somebody just came in the room wrong. Well, then I heard it open again. And at this time, Braden Schneider's dad was texting me. You guys were texting me. Pete Gerlinger was texting me. Everyone was asking what was going on. And I instantly knew. I didn't even have to look. I just reached over, unplugged it, put it into one, gave the thumbs up to the guys, and away we went. But it was so dumb. Like, just so dumb. And that goes into the day that I've had today. Because you you texted me earlier today, and we'll tell people how stupid I am. You texted me earlier today and said... (laughs) What time's practice? What time are we doing our post-game media? I said, practice is at 12.15. The media will be ready to go at 12.45. You were right, so I though. Go get ga- I go to get gas in my truck, and I'm fueling up the truck, and you text me say, okay, I just got home. Are we, are we ready? And I look at the clock, and it's, it's, <laughs> it's not even 10 after 12, Saskatchewan time. So I completely forgot about the time change. So you guys are ready to go a full hour early. Entirely my fault. Not my day today. No, see, I'm going to like, we'll take full responsibility for that. When, when you're in Saskatchewan and you're in the hub and you're giving your times, we should have realized that, oh, there's a time change now. So you can own the board. I'll own that one. At least yours was public. So like, <laughs> yeah. like unless people listen to the podcast, they're not going to know that, that, uh, that I was, and whatever. I was an hour early then sitting on my computer waiting for you on Zoom. I'm just talking I was an hour late. So, so no, it could be a lot better. But uh, you know what? We're all going to put this day behind us. It actually already is behind us because of how late it is. So Monday's well done. Welcome to Tuesday or whatever day you're listening to this. Uh, th- this week, Crow, we decided that we didn't want to, you know, go and talk about some some more alumni this week or, you know, really get into much weaking hockey because there's a lot of other things going out and, uh, going on out in the West, including the start of the U.S. division. And here we just, we, of course, because we only get to see them every two years, we don't get a lot of exposure to the U.S. teams, what's happening in the division. We had a great talk with Tom Boyning this week, the voice of the Seattle Thunderbirds, just getting caught up in what's happening in the U.S., yeah, it's a bit of a strange, different thing because normally we're all included. We're all starting at the same time. BC, everybody starts at the same time. Your out-of-town scoreboard includes all those, pardon me, all those teams. Everyone kind of knows what's going on. But 
this year's so different. So they have yet to, they got started here last week. BC has yet to start. Uh, they're going to start here this Friday. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, checking in with Tom was great. I, I like those guys. Uh, the U.S. broadcasters are great. They've always got a different style. It's funny, like, you know, I think about a guy like uh, Craig West in Tri-City. He's been doing, he did uh, Los Angeles Angels uh, AAA ball on the radio down there. And he's done high school football and he's done all sorts of pro. I think he did XFL football at one point. So, I mean, those guys have so many great stories to tell. The American media is so different than here in Canada. And those guys are so much more casual. Like Mike Boyle in Spokane, he rolls in wearing khakis and a golf shirt. Like there's no suit and tie for those American guys. <laughs> they're just the radio guy and they're just coming to work, talking hockey. And uh, yeah, they're great guys. Tom's a great guy. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was a great visit with them. We talked about all sorts of things. COVID, uh, wearing a mask, what's going on in the rink, fans in the building, what he did in the offseason and everything else. So I hope we enjoy uh, this week's interview with the voice of the Seattle Thunderbirds, Tom Boyning. Enjoy. Our guest this week on episode uh, number 48 of the Weekly Harvest, presented by Coors Light, is the voice of the Seattle Thunderbirds, Tom Boyning. And, Tom, the U.S. division finally underway after a long, long offseason. Were you a little nervous heading into the rink this weekend for your first time on radio in quite some time? Uh, Not nervous, just excited, very excited, just glad to get back into the, well, I'm in a suite now instead of a booth, but just get back to doing what uh, I, I love to do. And it's a little strange with no fans in the building, although the Shower Center is being used as a max vaccination site for uh, South King County down here in the Seattle area. So during warmups, right up until the games, there are uh, patients, I guess you call them, in there getting their shots and they got to wait 15 minutes. So they sit in the stands and they watch the uh Warm-ups, I'm not sure a lot of them understand because we're not a traditional hockey market, but maybe it's going to bring in some some new fans, in particular with the, the Kraken coming here uh, next fall. Uh, maybe we're, we're kind of helping, uh, you know, indoctrinate some of these inoculated people into the game of hockey. And for some of our fans who, you know, just don't get to pay a whole lot of attention to the, what's going on out in the U.S. with the B.C. division, that's why we're so excited to have you out, out on, on here this week. Uh, just kind of talk to the fans about how it's working uh, with uh, the show where being not only the home uh, for, uh, for the vaccinations, but for other hockey teams as well. Well, the, the original plan was that Portland would play their home games here, uh, but that got changed because portland finally got uh, you know permission from their state government and their state health authorities to have home games it came too late for their first home game so their first home game was at the shore center against uh, spokane but the next 11 they'll be able to go back down to the uh, veterans memorial coliseum they'll be able to practice uh, there as well they've been practicing in vancouver washington which is right across the river from portland uh, at a local rink there so uh they're very excited to get back in their building and uh, i never said this before but i miss going to portland <laughs> So talk us through what is it what is the protocol for you like when you arrive at the arena and park your car what's different than a normal game day for you um, well obviously you, you got to go through one entrance you get tested they take a you know temperature check uh, ask you a number of questions to make sure you're okay you're feeling okay and once they get inside the building it's pretty normal other than I got moved to the other side of the arena because a lot of the suites on the side where my booth is is being used by the uh, the King County health officials to uh, kind of run the vaccination program there. So I'm actually in a better broadcast location, if you can believe that. Brandon, you know where the, the oh, yeah. visiting. In, yeah. uh, I'm in the corner down the other end from you. Uh, you know, Mike Boyle was here 
the opener against Spokane, and he said, uh, how come I don't get that <laughs> treatment? He's still in that uh, visiting radio booth, but all those other suites on that side are being used uh, you know, for vaccinating uh, people and for you know, the people who are operating the vaccination uh, clinic there. So we got moved from the east side to the west side of the arena, and you know, I have to go a certain way. I can't go down that hallway. I you know, got to go up uh, the, this, the north end uh, elevator and walk around that way. So for uh, who are going to be you know, expected to be some of the division leaders coming up in the U.S. this year? Well, it's interesting because Portland has four players that normally would be there who are playing in the USHL. Four pretty good players, uh, you know, uh, Cross Hannes or Lacrosse Hannes, if you want, uh, is one of those. Uh, Jack O'Brien, who's, uh, I think, rated a B skater by Central Scouting for the upcoming draft, is another. Uh, Stefan is another. I think it's four American-born players are playing in the USHL, and the deal is that they get to play there until that season ends. And I think that season, I don't know if they have playoffs, uh, if they've scheduled playoffs, but their regular season doesn't end until late April. And, of course, the U.S. division schedule ends in early may so they i don't know if they're counting on those guys coming back so they've lost four pretty talented players i think if they had those four players if you're going to handicap the u.s division you'd probably put portland uh, on top uh, you know because they've got a you know great nucleus of the team that captured the scotty monroe trophy uh coming back uh spokane a little bit in the same boat they lost more players to graduation like ty smith who weren't going to come back but they've got a couple of players Toporowski and Bear Hughes also playing in the in the uh, USHL, so that hurt them a little bit. And uh, I think the the team probably now with the more veteran roster, with the most players returning, is Everett. So they might you know be the favorite to to win you know the majority of their twenty four games and win the division. But I think Portland, even with those four guys missing, still pretty good. Seattle, very young, talented team. Uh, the first two games, uh, they played very well. You know, could have gone either way in both of them. Uh, I haven't seen Tri City yet, but I know they're a very young team uh, as well. Manitoba-born uh, Connor Roulette is kind of the, you know, uh, the future offense. Uh, they say second-round pick for the Seattle Thunderbirds. Uh, did he play this weekend? What did you see from him? Yeah, he played uh, both nights. Yeah, I think it was better the first night. Uh, I think you know when you play back-to-back games after you haven't played yeah. in a year. That second game is probably going to be the one that uh, tests your conditioning. I think it caught up with some of our players by the third period. You know, Portland, it was their second game, but they had had a day off between their first two. So maybe they had a slight edge. But I think by the time the third period was rolling around, Seattle was down three. They're kind of in desperation. So they're spending a lot of energy early in that period and could never catch up. So I think conditioning probably caught up with a lot of those guys. I think Connor probably would be in that boat as well. I thought he had a really good first game he didn't score but he created some chances and then you know the puck was bouncing a little bit on him but uh, I think as we get going he'll get going so as for you know the the Seattle Thunderbirds players now we know in different cities different hubs there's different rules are are the T-Birds building in their normal billets are they in a team hotel are they in an apartment how does their living situation work uh the, the T-Bird billeting with the their regular billets I know, I know in the case of Everett, they're actually staying at a, uh, a junior college dorms uh, in the Everett area. That's what they're doing. But I think other teams in the U.S. division, uh, Portland, Tri-City, and Spokane, I think they're all billeting with their regular billets. Have you been vaccinated, Tom? I was going to ask you that. You were tweeting, I believe your wife had been, but have you had the vaccine yet? Yeah, my wife's been vaccinated because she's uh, considered a frontline worker, but uh, I know I don't look it, but I'm not old enough <laughs> yet. I <laughs> yeah. don't fall into those categories that uh, we have open yet. It's 
primarily 65 and older in certain groups like healthcare workers, frontline workers. They just opened it up to, to teachers and school staff as well. Uh, the plan, and I'm sure you've probably heard this following the news down here in the States, is that uh, the new uh, administration in Washington wants to have it so that Everybody is eligible by May 1st for a vaccine. I do know that when the T-Bird season ends on May 9th, uh, they're quickly taking the ice out of the Showware Center, and they're going to use the floor of the arena. Right now, they're using the concourse. They're going to use the floor to increase the, the number of people they can vaccinate. Right now, though, at that location, they're vaccinating 2,200, so they'll probably a day, and they'll probably increase that to you know three to 4,000. Uh, Lumen Field, you probably remember the CenturyLink Field where the Seahawks play. That is the largest civilian uh, vaccination site in the United States, and that's open. It's just a matter now of getting all these vaccines that they've ordered and people to vac, you know, to administer the vaccine. Yeah. So they were, they're, ramp, they're ramping up the vaccine program. So uh, people like me will be eligible uh, by May 1st. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible to hear some of those numbers uh, compared to especially what's happening up here and the way our programs are being rolled out as well. Um, that's just great to hear about all that. Uh, when I was first introduced to you, Tom, it was uh, introduced as the longtime voice of. So I don't want to, you know, date you, but l- l- let's go back. And how long have you been the voice of the T-Birds? And how did you get your start uh, in into doing hockey? Well, it's it's unique in that my time with the T-Birds began on September 11th, 2001. That was my higher date. 9-11. So I'll never forget that. Wow. <laughs> Obviously, for, you know, for the, the obvious reasons. So I've been with the T-Birds since then. Prior to that, I had uh, spent uh, four seasons in what was then called the West Coast Hockey League, a uh, minor professional league equivalent to the, you know, the ECHL. In fact, some of the teams from that league, which folded, uh, folded into the ECHL. So I they had a team in Tacoma. And it was called the Tacoma Sabercats, and I was uh, with them for four years. And then prior to that, the last year that the Tacoma Rockets were in Tacoma before they moved to Kelowna, I did the final season as the play-by-play in the in the Tacoma Dome, uh, which is like broadcasting a football game from a, a hockey game from a football stadium. Uh, I did the games for the Tacoma Rockets. So when you talk about you know your career and and you know, how it, how you got to this point when you were a, you know, a seven year old boy and someone said, what do you want to be when you grew up? You probably weren't saying, I want to broadcast junior hockey. How, how did this whole path, how did this path end up and, and how did you get onto it? Well, I, you know, I was born here in uh, the Seattle area, I was born in Tacoma, but at age three, my dad's company, he worked for Warehouser. Uh, they transferred him to their international offices, which happened to be in Toronto. So for three years, I lived in a, a community called Aurora, Ontario, Canada. In fact, I still have a brother, much older brother, still living up there with his family. Then uh, th- after three years in Toronto, Canada, the, the company moved my dad again, and he was transferred down to their offices in Chicago. And so I lived in a suburb of Chicago, became a huge Chicago Blackhawks fan. So I was listening to Lloyd Pettit doing the Chicago Blackhawk games on WGN Radio. And, you know, my mom was a big influence because she loved to listen to sports on the radio. And I would sit outside her door as a little kid as she was reading her newspaper in bed, listening to the Blackhawks and the Cubs and the White Sox and all those games in Chicago. I would sit outside her door in the hallway at night uh, when I should have been in bed listening to, you know, Jack Brickhouse and, and as I said, Lloyd Pettit do the, the Blackhawks games. And that's that's how I kind of got uh, my love of wanting to be a play-by-play broadcaster. Oh, that's Every kid's dream is in a sports city like Chicago. <laughs> Man, that uh, 
That's if of all the cities I've been to, going to Chicago to cover the NHL draft and getting to take in a Cubs game and and be at United Center and walk around and see all the history. Uh, that is of all the sports cities in the U.S. that has to be near the top, especially to this day with the success the teams have had. Yeah, and the sad thing was, uh, you know, after three years in Chicago, we moved back out here to the Seattle area. You know, and, and when you're a, at that time a nine-year-old kid, you just think every team, every city has an NHL team. You think every city has an NFL team. Every city has an NBA team. Every city has a Major League Baseball team. Seattle at that time only had the NBA team, the Sonics, who aren't here anymore, by the way, didn't have NHL. And, and nobody around here understood hockey. <laughs> you know, my older brother who played uh, hockey when he was in Chicago, uh, and he, he played a bad team. They lost every game they played, but he scored every one of their goals. And, uh, you know, he, he kind of thought he might be good enough to maybe get a look or something that he was just too small. But uh, you come back here and there's there was one ice rink in the area for the entire Tacoma region. And it was like 15 miles from our house. So we just kind of had he had to stop playing. So since 2001, Tom, of all the CLT board players that, that, that you've come, uh, you've seen come through, and there has been like a lot of talent. The, the U.S. division always seems to have it, it, its own special crop of players that uh, we, you know, unfortunately only get to get to see every two years. But in the, in that time, who immediately comes to your mind as like some of the top guys that has just been the most memorable ones to call? Well, I think the the top guys have come through probably over the last decade. Uh, you, obviously, I think you first think of Matt Barzell, uh, who captained our championship team. Uh, another NHL if he first wasn't the first name out of your mouth, I was going to be shocked <laughs> because 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 seeing down. him play in 2016, Tom, he was phenomenal. I, it was such it just and and, and he, like he's like the guy I'm talking about. Like, it's, we wish that we got to see all the talent that this league has to offer. But, you know, when, until it gets to chances like that, you get to see them, you know, at the highest, at the highest that they can play. It was just su- su- such a joy. So not to cut you off, but keep going. But Matt Barzell, I, I'm, I was astounded about his level of play. And I think the next guy that would come up on my list would be Shea Theodore. Uh, I remember going to the training camp when he came to his first training camp as a 15 year old, he was a, a third round Bantam selection. In fact, he was the, the second of two third-round picks that we had this that year, I think he was of the top four guys we picked, maybe the only guy who had an impact on the team. But the first scrimmage they had at training camp, he was the guy who caught my eye of, of all those picks. I think Jared Hopp was our first-round pick. Jared had a, a good career with us. In fact, he was on that 2016 uh, team that went to the championship. He was one of our, our 20-year-olds. But you know, Shea Theodore, at, at age 15, you know, I thought, wow, you know, who is this kid? I had to look up that he was a third-round Bantam selection and uh, he, I just felt he was going to be a really good player, and he he lived up to what I thought he would be. I wanted to t- to go back to you know you talked about when you moved to the area there was really no hockey. Well, since the expansion of the Western League down into that area, and then of course obviously the NHL expanding into California, and you know you got the the Mighty Duck movies, Wayne Gretzky going to L.A. and all that that led to it. What's the hockey landscape like there now? Because the more we, we talk about these talented players coming into the NHL, the more you see that their hometown or their birthplace has one of those Pacific Northwest addresses. So what's what's it like there now? Well, it's definitely evolving. And, uh, you know, the influences, you know, there's always been a hockey team in Seattle. You know, the story of the Metropolitans being the first U.S.-based team to win the, the Stanley Cup back in 1917, uh, right before another pandemic, by the way. Uh <laughs> 
But they've, they've had minor league teams that, that had a team called the Seahawks back in, I think, the 40s uh, and the 50s. And then right before the uh, the Thunderbirds came into uh, existence, there was a team that was uh, fairly popular in the 60s and early 70s called the Seattle Totems. And a lot of people thought when they were naming the Kraken that they should, you know, name it the totems because it was you know something kind of indigenous to the area but i think uh, they wanted a whole new identity so they went they went with the kraken but the, the totem uh, totems were the team that played in the i think at the time it was called the the west western hockey league there was the portland buckaroos and the vancouver millionaires had a team uh in that league before they got the canucks so there's always been a hockey team in seattle but it has been a niche sport uh, it's a football town a baseball town the, you know it's a, you know basketball is huge but it's evolving the nhl i think is uh, drawing a lot of attention especially now you know the sonics aren't here there's no nba team uh the introduction of everett into the the area and uh, they're have added, I think, four or five rinks now to the region since then, and the Kraken have kind of made a commitment to to, to help add more. Certainly, uh, our, our our one of our close friends here on the podcast, my color analyst Pete Gerlinger, played for the Seattle Breakers, so um, he he loves he loved his time in Seattle. Of course, he actually, ironically enough, of the three teams he played for in the Western Hockey League, two of them are no longer around. He played for the Seattle Break Breakers and the Billings Bighorns. So. I just said, you know what? The fact that he's the color guy for the Brandon Weekings and they haven't folded yet—that's a good thing. It didn't get, it didn't follow him around. <laughs> well, the Breakers are actually the Thunderbirds. They they just right. changed. They had a change name when they you know they almost left uh, as the, the Breakers were in financial trouble, and so they when they found ownership to keep them here, they wanted a fresh start, so they renamed the team. That's uh, I think he talks about that. He's told that on this on our on our radio broadcast before about how he was on the Breakers when they were going through the financial troubles. And it was to the point where the players were starting to plan where else they were going to go because they didn't know what was going to happen at the time. So uh, certainly you touched on the, the long hockey history there, but what is your opinion on, on the Kraken coming to the area as a hockey fan? Are you excited about it? Does it mean a whole lot to you? Or are you a guy that's going to maybe try and get into a game or two? Or what's your thoughts on the Kraken coming? Well, it's going to be hard to take my allegiances away from from the Blackhawks. I've been a Blackhawks fan since 1969, so it's going to be hard to to take my allegiance. But I said the same thing when the you know the Seahawks came to town. Before that, you know, my parents were from Minnesota, so I was a Vikings fan because my dad was a Vikings fan. But the first time we went to a, a game at uh, the old Kingdom, the Seahawks hosted the Vikings. I started the game rooting for the Vikings. By the end, I was a Seahawks fan. I was rooting for the Seahawks. And, and, you know, the same thing with the Mariners. I was a Cubs fan, but now I'm a Mariners fan. Uh, so, you know, I might be able to be turned that direction. But uh, as far as getting to games, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know, you know, how the schedules will conflict with the, the T-Birds and, and the Kraken. But I would not be surprised. I think uh, our ownership has season tickets to uh, the Seahawks and the Mariners. I'm sure they're on that list for the Kraken if, if they were to get in before all the seats were taken. I was very excited when they announced that it was going to be the Kraken. Just for the phrase, <laughs> release the Kraken. I, I just like the, the power of that in the atmosphere and the buildup and, and the hype to the game is going to be unreal. Uh, there was some rumblings and some rumors, which, as we all know, when you read those on the Internet, are usually more true than false, right? Uh, anyway, there was some rumors that uh, there was possibility that the NHL team was going to try to take the T-Bird name and the logo and, and, the, and the color scheme. I went, no way, there's no way, because that is the right up with the Weekings, 1A, 1B, the best 
uniforms and the best logo in the entire CHL, if not all of hockey. Agree or disagree? I would agree with that. Uh, you know, but those rumors were around. But uh, you know, I, I would always ask our, our management and our ownership, and they would just shake their heads that there was no way they were going to give that up. Uh, I said, "Come on, everybody's got a price, right?" But <laughs> uh, they had no no plans, and I don't think the Kraken. Again, I think they wanted their own identity. They didn't want to bring an NHL team here and then name it after the junior team. You know, so they they wanted that major sports team identity so they wanted their own identity well and changing the name from the breakers to the thunderbirds was the best thing ever happened to that team then anyway (laughs) yeah orange and blue it just had a weird look when you'd look back at the (laughs) seattle breakers uh, sweaters uh so well they they came down they came down from kamloops that's why they had those those colors that was that what it was kamloops what were they called the the i can't remember what they were called (laughs) but that's where they uh, that's where they moved down from See, yeah, and at the time, when you look at the map of how the Western Hockey League and at the time the WCHL has changed over the years with teams moving and switching and the new Westminster Bruins and everything that's all come around and the Billings Bighorns and the, you know, the Great Falls Americans and everything, it's kind of neat to follow the map around. Uh, you talked about being a sports fan. Uh, do you get to many Mariners games? Do you go to Seahawks games? Uh, what, what's your general sports fandom now that you're kind of working in the industry a little bit as well still? Um, I will try to get a, a, a Mariners game during the summer because I've got nothing else to do. But I try to avoid the games against Toronto because it's just uh, the invasion of Canada at that point. And uh, we'll, we'll let them have the uh, stadium for a weekend. But I try to. I went there one time, and it happened to be against the Blue Jays, and I thought it was on the road. Uh, <laughs> fans come down, and great support for Blue Jays when they come into Seattle. Uh, to get Seahawk tickets, I can tell you that. The last I went to, I think, was two years ago. Monday night. Uh, uh, the other rumor is that uh, the NBA is really, especially because they've been hit financially by this pandemic. Before it happened, they weren't too eager to expand. <laughs> the rumor is that now they're going to tr- expand, and you know Seattle's on the top of the list because they get that expansion fee to you know fill their pockets. <laughs> well, you see that with Vegas and with uh, the Seattle and the NHL with their new TV deal, plus those two uh, paychecks rolling in. Uh, I think they survive. Uh, the pandemic. Speaking of pandemic, I know for for myself and other radio guys, uh, we were all put in a strange spot uh, this summer, and some of us had to find other jobs. I know Craig West was was working at Ace Hardware Store, and <laughs> I was washing golf carts and serving beers and trying to you know stay afloat. What did you end up doing this summer? Were you able to stay doing some radio work, or how, how did your off season slash pandemic off season look? I bothered my wife. <laughs> she she never lost her job. She has a very good job. Uh, she's a clinical pharmacist. Uh, it's a, hers is a specialized position. They call it, uh, I don't know what her master's degree in, but they created a, a new uh, program. Uh, I think it's uh, hospital medical informatics. So she's been dealing with COVID testing, COVID studies, COVID therapies, COVID vaccine trials. And I've just been eavesdropping on all those conversations. That was my summer. So you're, <laughs> that and cutting you're, you're down a tree in my front yard. <laughs> no, <laughs> I still don't know what she does. <laughs> <laughs> and my daughter's, my daughter's homeschooling. She's in high school. Uh, she's a junior in high school. And she actually gets to go back a couple of days a week uh, to classes beginning next week. And my son just finished up his second year of uh, college study. So uh, it's been a, a full household with the two dogs added in. I'm the only one not doing anything. <laughs> that's funny though like it, it now you're now your wife knows what it's like when you retire so when you say 
honey, I think I'm going to retire. I guarantee you. She says, no, give it a few more years. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, if this is retirement, I'm not going to retire. <laughs> I don't like not being busy. You don't have any other ho- like hobbies outside of the rink? Oh, I, I do a lot. Of, I was a history major, so I, I read a lot of history. Um, I got two dogs, and I walk those dogs. Well, they walk me, I should say. Every <laughs> every day we take our walks around the neighborhood and, and uh, greet all the other dogs. So, Are you a golfer at all? Do you, you play any golf? You know, I played golf, but I'm not really a big golfer. I mean, you know, my brother is a huge golfer. Maybe it's because he's so much better than I am that I don't like golf as much as he does. <laughs> But I haven't golfed in, in, in a while because I also have a, a you know I have a bad back, so I get to like the fifth or sixth hole and I I gotta <laughs> say that's it I'm done. <laughs> so I, I got looking at obviously you know where I live in in Manitoba for whatever reason it's been like this since I was a kid. Um, depending on where you live in Manitoba, you either get all of your American stations coming from Minneapolis or all your American stations come from Seattle, and that's just the way it works in Manitoba because you're right smack dab in the center. So. Uh, all of my cable and all of my stuff is based in Seattle. So a lot of the news I get on my TV is Seattle based and Washington state based. So, you know, I've been kind of watching some of the COVID numbers and, and the thought process in the state of Washington. I, I know it's different than in Canada, but where did you see the biggest, you know, impact in the state of Washington and your kind of day to day? Did it, you know, was, was there a, a lot of businesses shut down, slowed down, or were you guys a lot more, you know, liberal and free as opposed to some of the other areas? Like example, <laughs> a few miles north into BC where everything was locked down real tight. Uh, well, we were probably closer, depending on what part of the state you're in, is uh, closer to what you just described BC as. We we have a Democratic governor and uh, he follows the science. So back in March, everything was closed down and uh, restaurants were closed down. They're, they're finally back to, I think, 25% occupancy. Uh, they keep changing what they call the phases. You know, they first initially said they're going to be four phases and we got to phase two in the summer. And then they had the, you know, the resurgence and uh, the numbers went up. So they changed and we went back to a two phase program. And I think the whole state now is in that second phase, but there's different levels of the second phase that we're, we're in. So it's uh, things are opening up more, but um, I think our. Our governor follows the science, so he's not, he's, he's, it's odd to say he's a Democrat, but he's, he's conservative as far as letting things open up again. You know, this was for a short time the epicenter of the virus in the United States. The first uh, outbreak in the States was at a, uh, a nursing home up uh, in the Seattle area. Uh, that was the first recorded case. Uh, they, I think they handled it fairly well. I read a, an article in the New York Times that said if the rest of the country had handled the virus, the way the state of Washington did, they could have saved potentially 300,000 lives. The border in the grand scheme of things, like, it's almost like an imaginary thing. It's just an imaginary line separating us, but it's in a completely different world, just a couple of hours down the highway. Like, we were both shocked last week on the podcast here, me and Crow, we were talking to Tyler Coulter, um, who maybe you remember from our championship team, uh, but Tyler Coulter, he's now playing in the ECHL. He's one of the leading uh, scorers down there, playing with the Rapid City Rush. So he's in South Dakota, and... They're playing in front of like 5,000 fans. It's, it's full, full 100% capacity. Uh, masks are required. Um, but you know, just like the photos you see, I mean, more people are wearing them as like chin diapers than, than anything else. And it's just like, it, it's shocking when again, we're up here and we're having to cover our games because our guys are having to play three hours down the road in front of nobody. 
Like it's crow so can weird. crow can hear everything in the building. There's like just a, a handful of people. It just it's it seems we are in two different worlds. But then it sounds like you're a little bit closer to us than even what they are in that part of the country. Yeah, you know, there's what depends on what part of the country you're in. It's just it's been so politicized. You, know, you talked about fans. Uh, you know, college football season in the South, they were letting fans in almost, it seemed, you know, 50 plus percent. Uh, the University of Washington played, I think, three or four home games. No fans allowed. They had never had a game where there were fans. Uh, the big news here was that the, the Mariners are going to be allowed to have uh, 9,000 uh, fans in the stadiums on, uh, you know, their season opener, which would be the first time fans have been in the arena of any kind in this state uh, since back last March. Um, you know, I noticed uh, the, the Tri-City Americans were allowed, because of the phase, uh, they were allowed technically to have fans come in because the state, I guess, law trumps the, what the WHL had asked them to do. But they only let uh, you know 50 billets in, and then they did a lottery, I think, for uh, 50 season ticket holders. So they're, they're limiting it to 100. And, you know, because we're in a, a building that's a vaccine site, there are people in our building – as we're preparing for the hockey game. So there's probably, you know, a hundred people in the building before we start our game. So that's kind of a funny idea. You know, I'm sorry. Thing, like, like, yeah. like, like when you first said that too, at the start, I, I was it. like, I, I couldn't believe I'm like kind of thinking about this. I'm like, wait, so they're literally still in the building while the team is warming up. So like when the game starts, is there like potentially still some of that going on? Like in the, in the concourses or no, by the, by the time it starts, all the people getting shots are, you know, they've they've got their shot. They've waited their 15 minutes because they make you wait 15 minutes before you can leave. And I think it's just the, the, the vaccinators, the health officials who are, you know, cleaning things up, getting it ready for the next day. And, you know, some of them will watch what's going on. But, it you know, it's it's something, you know, kind of a treat for them, I guess. You know, they worked hard all day and now they yeah. can see a little bit of hockey Yeah, if I was a on. hockey fan, I was working <laughs> yeah. all day admitting the, the, the vaccinations. Take off the shirt. You got a jersey underneath. Plop yourself down yeah. right there. But even with Why you know not? the state going into the phase it's gone into, where you know, like the Mariners and the the Sounders, the soccer team and the college football team for their spring events are going to be allowed to have crowds. The 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 T Birds have made the decision because it's a mass vaccination site. They don't want to, you know to have that kind of cross of people getting shots and fans coming in. So they're going to play their twelve home games without fans. Yeah, it's so, oh man, I, I, it's just so crazy. Like, I mean, I can see, okay, so where we are in Regina, it's the same thing. And, and you've been to Regina, Tom, but it's a huge complex here. So where we are in Regina, the hockey's being played in the Pats Main Arena, but the Saskatchewan province testing site and vaccination site are also in the same building, but not like in the same building, if you know what I'm saying. So that's all going on kind of in the separate buildings in the same parking lot, but not under the same roof. And people here were saying that that was strange enough that there was people driving through the other drive through areas in the parking lot of the arena where the games are being played, let alone having somebody getting a needle, you know, outside the concourse washrooms while warmups going on. I mean, it's just such an odd thought. And it, it's been so long and there's been so much go on that sometimes when I look at the differences between the U S and Canada, it's just, it's almost comical at this point, how different, uh, we really are. Uh, some, some, of the, some of the similarities, though, are, are, are also, when you look at the Keystone, and I know both of you have not driven by the Keystone as of late, but when you go in uh, there right now, every, on every pole, there's two big signs with arrows. 
And one is for vaccination and one is for COVID testing. And the arrows point to the same location because they're literally just one room in one room. So like the paths to walk are there, but the parking lots are literally side by side. So the arrows point to the same direction. So yeah, it's all, it's all one place anyway, no matter where you well, are. You know, what's funny is that when this all happened and they were closing down the, the season, they said, you know, hopefully we'll get a season going at some point the following year. Uh, a lot of the chatter was, you know, they're so bad in the U.S., that they're going to have to move these uh, U.S.-based Western Hockey League teams up into Canada to, to play. Mm-hmm. And in the end, the U.S. division was the second division to get clearance to play. And I'm not saying that's because we did things better. It's because everybody's just decided we're going to open things up. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you know, it's like we're going to just make our own rules now. <laughs> it's, so, it's so funny. It's, it's, like, uh, it's like a kid whose parent for so long tells them not to do something. Finally, one day they're just going to say, you know what? I'm doing it and you can't punish me about it. (laughs) So um, let's go back to uh, the championship series. Now we know it's tough for you to look at, but we can talk about the good things from the year after, but obviously your, you know, biggest relationship with Brandon and Brandon fans came during that stretch of time between April 27th and May 13th of 2016. Uh, Looking back at that championship series that set the table for Seattle to win one year later. But what do you remember from the Brandon Wheat Kings in that championship series? Well, right. Remember about that series is those first three games all going to overtime, all being decided by the score of three to two. And I remember the first period of game one of that series. I think Seattle had the first 10, maybe 11 shots on goal, but they couldn't put one past Papirny. And those missed opportunities cost them a chance to steal a game on the road. There was a fluky goal that won it in overtime. Uh, both, uh, you know, game one and game two. Seattle just couldn't get that one goal that either got them the, the initial lead or gave them a two goal lead because they did have leads in, in the, those two games in, in, in Brandon. But the problem was Brandon's best players were their best players and they were able to get those goals for them. Whereas Seattle's best players were younger. Uh, you know, they were. You know, Barzell was only 18 at that point. Uh, uh, that key group of Bear and Colasar and uh, Alexander True, they're all 18-year-olds. That, so they were just a bit younger than Brandon was and made the difference in the series in Seattle's just in that series couldn't do it. But they learned from that, obviously, because the next year, those guys at, eight, at 19, they made those plays in the series against Regina. Well, I've talked about how interesting it is that for three years in a row, the team that lost in the final went back to the final and won, except for Regina the year after. (laughs) So, I mean, we love that because, I mean, we don't like the Pats as Wiki fans. But how big was that win for Seattle and and the hockey area, you know, in that that kind of community of, you know, Kent and, and everything that is around that area? Well, I think it was important to, you know, Seattle had gone 40 years, had never won. Uh, Chanelth Cup, it was important, I think, to win it before the Kraken got here because they got they got the media's attention with that win. You know, I remember coming back on the bus uh, from winning the game six in overtime in, in Regina. You know, we flew into Abbotsford, British Columbia and bus down from there. And my phone was lighting up. How far, guys, are, are you away from the show or center? So we're updating and they would send us pictures on the phone of the, the parking lot. And first there's maybe five or 10 cars. Then there's 20 and 30 cars. 
And then there's a hundred cars, and then they show the uh, the outside of the building, and there's four deep fans lined up uh, waiting for that bus to to turn the corner. And we got held up at the border too, so we got there later than we anticipated. But uh, it was great to see because I think a lot of the people who showed up uh, to meet that bus had been season ticket holders probably for thirty years, if not forty, and they had waited a long time. And it was just great to see some of those fans finally get to taste that moment in their uh, their fandom as you know t- Seattle Thunderbird fans I mean hockey especially in junior hockey we we talk about it here on the pod about how it's just like basically a roller coaster when you have to ride certain years with the amount of talent that you have and you got to stockpile and, and you know you're not going to be good for a while after you kind of win the championship um, after Seattle won kind of dipped a little bit but didn't really like become like some of the other teams like out here in the east that we've seen that win and then have been at the bottom for a while because they kind of sold the future seattle seems to have much like brandon a promising young core coming up well in building their championship team seattle never sold the farm they the 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 highest pick they sold uh, in those two years where they advanced to the championship was a second uh, was a condition second rounder that ended up being a third rounder That's and that was for Land- that was for Landon Bow mm-hmm. who was in goal in that series against against the Wheat Kings uh, the the next year i think the one player they brought in was a a, a player that Swift Current didn't want anymore i think it cost him a, a player who didn't want to play in Seattle anymore uh, so they never you know Russ Farrell who was still GM at that time never sold the farm now the year before they had tried to put together a, a, I think a more a bigger trade with Swift Current that was going to bring in uh, more than just Brandon Crow. They're going to bring in a couple of uh, you know bigger name players, but Red Deer beat them to the punch because Red Deer was hosting the uh, the Memorial Cup that year, so <laughs> so Seattle didn't have to spend. And then after they won their championships, uh, their new GM Bill LaForge wasn't afraid to trade away some of the older guys who he knew wouldn't be winning a championship with Seattle anymore. And uh, unfortunately kind of robbed the <laughs> Kelowna Rockets of, I think two or, you know, two first round picks and some, you know, second, third round picks because they traded for a lot of Seattle's players in the buildup for what they thought would be their return hosting the Memorial cup. Seattle ended up uh, getting two first round picks uh, two years ago and, I think two second round picks last year, and they've got two first round picks coming up. I think either next year or the following year, just because of these trades that uh, the new GM Bill LaForge has made. He's he's putting his mark on it, and we've seen in the first two games we played uh, these young guys like uh, Kevin Kurchinsky out of Saskatchewan, defenseman. He, uh, he reminds me of Shea Theodore, uh, the way he plays the game, and then Jordan Gustafson, another Saskatchewan guy who uh, lit it up. Uh, he's been terrific in, in two games. With Seattle, he's got two assists. Uh, he's out there in overtime, three on three overtime. Uh, he's out there almost the entire five minutes. <laughs> well, interesting note to connect that back to here. Bill LaForge played for the Nipawa Natives in 1992-1993 in the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. So there you have it, Weekly Harvest listeners. There's a little tidbit of trivia for you. Not many people would have known that. Um, but uh, certainly Seattle, I mean, I, I love going to Seattle. The thing that I hate about going to Seattle is the uh, they always you know yell the city and the socks. Well, I have the same name as the team. So I think <laughs> I take it personally when five thousand people yell Brandon sucks. 
<laughs> I kind of take it personally. Like they're yelling at we, me. We, you know what? And like we loved it. It was so strange <laughs> to to be on the on the other end of it. But uh, so I've been down to Seattle twice, both times with thankfully with the Wee Kings. Uh, one time was in the the championship series. We we came down. Another time was we we were down there for for league meetings. Which what a great spot in the summertime. We got to meet the 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 whole Mariner staff. Go check it out. And by the way, we were talking earlier about how you said how Canadians infiltrate. Well, we were there for a San Francisco game, and there was a whole lot of Giant fans who came up as well. So. So there's something about, I guess, coming up the coast there that they kind of took over as well. But uh, anyway, I've lost for my, my train of thought was, but we were back in the arena. And uh, when they were saying that, you'd think you'd kind of be offended about it. But the atmosphere, you like it gave me goosebumps when they're chanting Brandon sucks. It gave me goosebumps. It was the weirdest thing. It's nothing personal. It's, it's tradition. No, and it's just I, I yeah. only, the only one I hear. I hear Portland sucks every time. Whether it's Brandon Town, I just hear Portland sucks, even though Brandon's <laughs> the opponent. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's the one thing people in Brandon that haven't been to Seattle don't understand is that okay. So in Brandon, and, and I'm not knocking Brandon's fan base. I love the Weeking fan base. They are as passionate as passionate gets. But it's not as young as the Seattle fan base. But obviously the the Kent. Arena, the Showware Center, has a much different area to draw from than Western Manitoba. A lot more colleges, a lot more universities, a lot more young people attend these games. And I believe the last time that Brandon played there was a Tuesday night, I think. And oh, it the was, two for Tuesdays. Oh, it was a two for <laughs> Tuesday, and there were more drunken college students at that <laughs> hockey game than I could possibly imagine. And I tried to explain that to people in Brandon, that like, you go to a Seattle Thunderbirds game, and it is a party from the moment warm-ups start. And they're like, no. And they can't wrap their head around it. So as a guy that gets to see that every night, that's got to be pretty fun as a radio guy to be a part of that every night. Well, you know, there, there is a difference in the crowds uh, down south of the border. It doesn't matter if you're here, you're in Everett, you're in Portland, uh, you're east of the um, east side of the state in mm-hmm. Kennewick or in Spokane. It's just there's a different approach to the game. Uh, and I think part of it is because it's not a tra- traditional hockey market. So the way the game is marketed is come out and have fun because you probably don't understand the game yet. So that's what they do. They, they come out and have fun. Whereas, you know, if you're born in Canada, you, you know, if you're indoctrinated into the game of hockey from a very early age. And so you understand the game. So you're watching all the nuances that are occurring in the game uh, as opposed to what they're doing down here, making a lot of noise and enjoying each other and, and occasionally maybe having imbibed too much pop. But <laughs> it's just a, it is a different atmosphere. And, I got a kick out of try. I don't think that's show. yeah, and I don't think that that applies just to hockey. That's just the American way of life compared to the Canadian way of life. Uh, I think just a lot more reserved and more polite, and that translates into some of the fandom. Doesn't take away from the passion, uh, you know. And when you get into like the big series, when it gets real intense, like in 2016, I mean, you saw how our building got when you know literally you can't fit another you know body in there, and it's it's loud. Everybody's wearing the colors. Everybody feeds off each other. Uh, but until it gets to that point it's kind of hard to capture that that magic on a nightly basis where yes for some reason south of the border you guys just seem to have a better job of just enjoying yourselves at it i got a kick out of it the first time i came to seattle or sorry to tri-city in kennewick my first game ever in kennewick uh i had asked um i had asked craig west i said what's what's the fan demographic here and he kind of said well you know we're kind of a i believe there's a, a plant some sort of maybe is it a brewery or a production plant or there's something there that 
kind of drives the economy in Kennewick. I can't remember exactly what it was, but he said, you know, you'll see a lot of people here that are probably wearing NBA jerseys or NFL jerseys, and they're just here for some food and some fun and some entertainment. And I thought, okay, well, whatever. Well, little did I know, I saw more Kobe Bryant jerseys at that (laughs) Tri-City Americans game than I did Americans jerseys. And any time there was a remote scrum, you know, a face wash sequence or, or two guys turned and started chirping each other, the fans were going bananas. And there were actually, there was a scrum, uh, cause Brandon beat Tri City. I think it was 10 3 that night. So there was lots of extra junk going on. <laughs> but uh, there was a time at the end of the second period where all 10 guys came together and were all in a big huddle. There were fans moving from one section down to the glass with their phones and banging on the glass because they wanted there to be a big melee. They, they had come across the rink to get there to, to videotape it. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. It was just yeah. awesome. I love yeah, coming you, to the U.S. You talk about the two for Tuesdays that they have here. Uh, the only time that I've been with the T-Birds where they hosted a New Year's Eve game because normally we're down in Portland. It was, New Year's Eve that year, I think it was 2011, happened to land on a Tuesday. So they said, well, we're going to host a game and hosted Kamloops and full house. And we got blown off the ice. I think the final score was seven to one. I think, oh, this is terrible. You know, these fans who have come for the first time to a game and they see this team get blown out, uh, they're not going to come back. We thought at the end of this game, this is going to get ugly. They didn't care. <laughs> it was New Year's Eve and they were having fun. I don't think they even knew what the score was. They were, it was a really lively crowd that New Year's Eve game. Uh, you know, Brandon, uh, not Brandon, Camus got to leave with a win and the, the fans, I think, it was one of, I think, our first two for Tuesdays and they've kept coming back on Tuesday nights ever since. I, I even found it amazing that uh, Seattle kept the two for Tuesdays going through the playoffs, even during our championship series. One of them fell on a, on a two for oh, Tuesday. Yeah. That, that we, was, was unbelievable. Purpose. Yeah, yeah, that was done purposely. When they made the schedule for the postseason, they say, "Okay, we uh, we want to have a Tuesday game in there somewhere if we can." And I remember, uh, I think it was that year uh, we opened up the playoffs against Everett. I think it was the first time we'd ever played Everett in the playoffs, and we played them three times since. But um, to get a game on a Tuesday, the T Birds agreed for the series to go one 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 one. So no back to back home games, <laughs> even though we had. Home ice advantage, and we swept in four games, so didn't matter. But you know, it was more important to get that six thousand people in on a Tuesday night and and make some gate because they do get a cut of the concessions. Uh, that it was to have home ice advantage, you know, in a, a traditional you know two two one 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 series. Well, and to be fair, it's not like you guys have a whole lot of travel in the U.S. division to go through compared to when we were down there. We were driving back to the border because, uh, like, we flew into Seattle, but then we crossed uh, after the games at uh, the championship uh, by bus, uh, and we're we're driving through, and it was just like, oh, so there's a WHL market, there's a WHL market. There's a WHL market. It was like, they're all, everybody's so close together. Like, you're, there are no overnighters in the U.S. division unless, I guess, you guys prepare for them or, like, do you? Like, does Seattle ever plan any overnighters or are all of your U.S. division games normal? You guys just kind of go and then come home. If we go on the road for, let's say, we played a game in Spokane on a Friday night and then could have a Saturday night game in Kennewick then we would have an overnighter or if we would go from Spokane to Portland and play back-to-back nights, then we would have a, an overnighter. But yeah, we don't have overnights within the division very often. And uh, the games down in Portland the games up in Everett, I don't have to be on the bus. <laughs> I can just drive this two hours one way and an hour and a half the other way. 
That's Crow, how great would that be for uh, you? <laughs> our our closest game now that, that Kootenay's moved to Winnipeg is now two hours, which is great. But prior to that, our, our closest game was Regina at you know three and a half hours one way. So uh, we go to Prince Albert, which is about seven and a half hours, play the game, and then drive that seven and a half hours back and play the next night at home. So <laughs> uh, it's it's going to age me, I think, a lot more than uh, it's aged uh, you and Westy and Boyle and, and Benton and those guys down there. Uh, we like to finish with a little rapid fire. We like to just throw some questions out there, let the Weeking fans know a little bit about Tom Boyning and, and what he's been up to and what uh, how how his mind works. So, obviously, the uh, you, you touched on it. You like to read. You, you spent your time kind of researching and doing that sort of thing. Did you have a Netflix or Amazon Prime binge show, a show that you had to watch and finish during the pandemic? You know, the one show that I watched was The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I thought that was a great show. Uh, then I watched, uh, what was the soccer coach over in, uh, Oh, Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso. Yeah. Loved you know, it. gotta be a diamond dog. Uh, <laughs> so watched, uh, watched that. And I've been watching, uh, you know, gone back and binge watched parks and rec here recently. Yes. So, yes. Yeah, those, Since those that was my, re-added me too. Nice. Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. But I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I, I, you know, I've got an Amazon prime account and they kept popping up on my, my screen. And I said, Oh, you know, I'll see them. You know, back then hockey season was still going. I said, well, okay, I got nothing to do. And I can't wait for that. They get the next season now because they had to shut down production. <laughs> wow. You know what? I don't know if I, I don't know if I've started. I think my in-laws started and tried to get me to watch it, but it just, it didn't appeal to me, but maybe I'll take your suggestion. I got yeah, nothing but time in this hotel. I didn't think it would appeal to me either. Cause it's set in the fifties. It's, you know, early sixties. It's about the comedy scene and the, in New York, you know, the nightclub circuit and, it's just hilarious. Uh, well, Tony, it, Tony, Tony, what's Tony Schlob? Uh, he's the actor. He plays the father of the main character, and he's just he's just hilarious. <laughs> Throughout your broadcast career, is there any like weird? Not 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 weird, but any any different kind of sport that that you've been you know that you've done play by play for along the way? You've been called into action. I've done soccer. Uh, the Sounders uh, were before they were MLS were what was called the USL United Soccer League. I did them for about seven years. And I did it from some very odd locations on the road uh, because that was kind of more of a smaller market. I remember going to Indianapolis and doing it in a basically look like a, a county park. <laughs> and I actually went up to Edmonton. They had a team there for one year in Edmonton. We went up to Edmonton to play. And they were going to use uh, what's the, the Eskimo Stadium. Commonwealth, and, yeah, and apparently they didn't pay their bill, <laughs> so they got moved. To, they got moved to a city park. <laughs> and so, I was well, have you guys seen that video these... of that one over in Europe where there's the train? It goes right through the right, like right through the soccer pitch in front of the in front of the stands. It's yeah. so good. And you know, I started. You know, part of my start of my broadcast career, I was in the the military. I was in the United States Air Force, and I worked for the Armed Forces Network. Uh, and I was in, based in Frankfurt, Germany. I, I just loved it. I got to cover uh, American military athletes in competitions. So I got to travel all over Europe at the U.S. Uh, government's dime. And I remember going down to the French Riviera, staying in Nice to uh, cover a triathlon. <laughs> so Wow, a triathlon yeah. in Nice, France. Yeah, and I used to do some. I used to do some Golden Gloves boxing because they used to be very big uh, where I'm at here in Tacoma. They used to, uh, they produced a couple of uh, Olympians, including a gold medalist. And I remember the, the the local college here, the Fieldhouse, was used for Golden Gloves boxing, and I used to uh, to cover some boxing. 
Wow. Uh, that's, I mean, that's quite the resume. I, I wouldn't have thought that that was even a thing. The Armed Forces Network. I guess I've never really paid attention to that. So, something to hop Yeah. I, I basically spent three years in the military as a TV sports anchor. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, the only uh, difference from what doing it stateside was I had to wear a military uniform. And I, when I got back in the States, I did it for one year at a station in Texas. But uh, I just, I never really liked TV because you spent all day putting together three minutes and they cut one minute off because some news story would break. So I said, you know, radio, they don't do that to you when you're doing play by play, they give you three hours. So what's your, uh, what's your, uh, if you're, if you were to write a book about your time in the Western hockey league, and even going back to that, that, you know, pro league, the Western States league or whatever it was called, uh, what would your, what would your first chapter be? What's the, the funniest, the weirdest story that you can remember, whether it happened on the ice, off the ice from, from your trials and tribulations at calling hockey? When I was in the, the, the West Coast Hockey League, the, you know, they had franchise going all the time there. You know, it was just not that stable. Uh, in fact, one guy owned, I think, four of the teams, but they had a team in Reno, Nevada called the Reno Rage and they played their games in, what you'd think was like a convention center, you know, where you have, you know, like in, in, in Brandon, you know, where they have the, the winter uh, event where they bring the yep. tractors inside. It would look like that, but they put ice in there. And, and then the broadcast booth was an office up on the wall. But I remember we'd fly in. It was the great thing. We'd fly in and, you'd, you know, get off the plane to the airport in Reno and what's confronting <laughs> you are slot machines. Had a, had a player who played in the, in the, the Western Hockey League with the Tacoma, uh, Rockets, uh, Jamie Butt, his son Dawson Butt just finished up his career with, with Everett, in fact, and he still lives in the Tacoma area, but he played a couple years with the Tacoma Sabercats in that minor league. And I remember like the third trip to Reno, we got off the plane and he walked up to me and he handed me his wallet. He says, whatever I do, no, how hard I ask, don't give me my wallet. <laughs> The funny thing is, a few years later, he went down to Vegas and he won 187000 in the World Series of Poker. <laughs> but he did not want to play those slot machines. <laughs> oh, those are awesome stories. That is, that's the kind of stuff that you don't hear on the radio. That's fantastic. That's great, Tom. Thank you so much for joining us here this week. Really do appreciate it. Yeah, the way the pandemic is going, I don't know if we were supposed to be in Brandon this year, next year. I don't know when I'll be back in Brandon. But uh, if you see Perry, say hi. Uh, enjoy conversations with with Perry uh, when we're there in Brandon. We we missed him, I think, because of the pandemic. So I, I look forward to the trip. We haven't been to Winnipeg yet, so uh, haven't been to their facility. Bring there a yet, coat. So. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about <laughs> it. Looking Bring forward a coat. to that. We're <laughs> getting back north of the border. <laughs> right awesome. on, Tom. Well, stay safe down there. Uh, enjoy the rest of this short, abbreviated season, and uh, hopefully, we can see you next year. Yeah, hopefully, we'll cross at some point, either up there or down here next season. Our thanks again to Tom Boyning, the voice of the Seattle Thunderbirds, our guest this week on the Weekly Harvest, presented by Coors Light, the official beer of the Brandon Wee Kings. Uh, Crow, it was great to find out about the U.S. division. Excited about the B.C. division to kick up this weekend as well. So uh, next week, even, we can get into that. Uh, whatever you, uh, as the listener, wants to hear about, remember, our email inbox is always open for you. It's qweeklyharvest at gmail.com. The letter Q, weeklyharvest at gmail.com. In the email inbox uh, this week, you got a nice note here, uh, Crow, just so you know from uh, Aaron White. 
White, uh, who's a regular listener of us. Uh, Crow just said that uh, actually after he listened to our last pod there with Tyler Coulter, uh, he sent an online note to him just telling Tyler that it was his favorite episode by far. And uh, Tyler sent it back. So he had a blast reconnecting with us as well. Uh, if you haven't heard that podcast, I encourage people to go check that out. Uh, had a great talk with Tyler Coulter last week. Him and all the other 46 other episodes now. Hard to believe uh, how many we've done of these, but they're all up online at qcountryfm.ca or wherever you get your podcast. If it's Google, Apple, Spotify. Uh, Crow, we crossed a couple weeks ago. We haven't talked about this yet. We crossed the 10,000 download mark. Maybe we did mention that last week, but I think it we just, did, but... it just kind of happened, but you know, very exciting. The 10,000 downloads. Love that. So thank you, everybody. Uh, thank you all for the support as we keep it going. And again, any uh, comments, things you want to talk us about, uh, you can email us qweeklyharvest at gmail.com. Man, next week, I, I am so excited. Next week. next week, we're, we, we, we finally get to talk about this too. It's, we I'm have not, keep it a yeah, we, we haven't done much about online. So th- this uh, next week, our guest next week is going back to our childhood and to do with hockey, but not to do with the NHL or the WHL. We are truly going back to our childhood roots as we have got a cast member from the Mighty Ducks coming on the podcast. Lester Averman is not his real name, of course. That's, of course. Yeah. <laughs> That's, he, he wore number four on the Ducks. Y'all remember Averman? He had the glasses. He, he's selling popcorn at the Mall of America. Averman. Averman. Oh, it's going to be we so good. Averman. So Matt Doherty is his name. So here's how this connection works, because we are people are going to say, how and why does this connect to the yeah, yeah. Weekly Harvest? Why well, is Matt Doherty coming on the Weekly Harvest? <laughs> here's well. the thing. So uh, the... Uh, Disney Plus is relaunching Mighty Ducks. They're calling it Game Changers. And part of this, they're including uh, original cast members in at least one of every episode they're doing. So some episodes will include a couple of cast members. Some will be just one. Of course, Emilio Estevez, Coach Gordon Bombay, is the main actor in the reboot. So they're doing a big promotional tour. And I had reached out to the Anaheim Ducks in trying to connect with former Week King Mike LeClaire, who had played for the Anaheim Ducks. And in my conversation with uh, the guys that run the Anaheim Ducks podcast, I had noticed that they had talked to a handful of cast members from the Ducks as part of the promotion for the reboot. And I said, hey, if you don't mind, could I have a contact for anybody that you think might be willing to jump on the promotional tour? So he gave me a few emails. I sent a quick note to Matt, and he was like, dude, yeah, for sure. I'd love to. Let's let's talk hockey and go down memory lane. So um, yeah, I'm super excited. We're going to talk to Matt Doherty. He's a musician, actor out in L.A., and of course, he played Lester Averman in the Mighty Ducks movies, and they're promoting the reboot of the Mighty Ducks Game Changers out on Disney Plus this Friday. So, so it's, it's not going to be like, like I, I, I know that we don't have a full hour with him next week. We have him for about 20 minutes scheduled inside this promotional tour, but even for us just to talk Mighty Ducks movies for 20 minutes, Crow, <laughs> I am so excited for that. Like and, that, and you know, that is one of my favorite childhood movies. And it's perfect because oh, your boys really. are getting to that age now where they'll be starting to watch it if they haven't seen oh, it already. Jude's Jude's been on that bandwagon for a few years already. I mean, he's he's 12 years old, so he's right in that wheelhouse. I mean, he's a hockey player. We have watched the Mighty Ducks movies, uh, and and you know, and Briar's coming up into that, so you don't know he'll be he'll be coming along soon. Uh, no, very excited. And if I told 10 year old me, yeah, that I was yeah, so gonna say gonna be hanging out with Averman. Uh, I wouldn't believe it. Any so, of them. Like, honestly, like, if we could talk to any of the original ducks, like, that is fantastic. I love I this. Had a so it's going to be a whole lot of fun. Connie. On Connie? Yeah. Oh, 
funny, bro. She, still, I saw. She that still picture. looks good. Have you seen still that promotional good. photo? Yeah, yeah. Man. Okay, now we're just getting weird. But anyway, <laughs> um, Matt Doherty, Averman from the Mighty Ducks movies, is going to join us next week. We're going to chat with him on Monday, the 29th, uh, and then we're going to release that podcast on Tuesday. Of course, we're promoting the Mighty Ducks reboot on Disney Plus, but uh, we'll also have some weekend news in there in our pre and post interview chat. Uh, and of course, uh, a fun little trip down memory lane and outside the box guest on weekly harvest episode number 49. So I'm looking forward to it. We are. Uh, that'll pretty much do it for this week. It's now closer to, uh, one in the morning. Uh, so I think it's time to, I think it's all, I'm, I'm finally going to have supper myself. I don't know what you're doing. I got half a burger that's just staring at me on my desk here. I'm actually mad you started because I, I had only eaten half of it. Now it's going to be <laughs> Well, cold. you should have said this is literally, you, you didn't even say anything, but I got okay. Half a burger. It's going to be cold. Well, you can go and enjoy your half a cold burger in your hotel room <laughs> in Regina. I'm going to go and I'm going to cook up some, some fresh walleye fillets that are sitting in my fridge that, I've got to get cooked up. So I'm going to be literally frying walleye at like 1.30 in the morning <laughs> at my place. Somehow wake up and go into work tomorrow and get all set for the Thursday game. But uh, w- w- whatever you're doing this week, appreciate you tuning on in here to the Weekly Harvest and uh, look forward to uh, seeing some more Week King hockey coming up uh, this week, of course, and look forward to talking to you all again next week. We have Matt Doherty, a.k.a. Averman, who we just, uh, you know, we got to start calling him Matt more often. Yeah, I don't want to call him. I don't want to call him Averman, call him Averman just by accident. Lester. but. That's just <laughs> always so ingrained. So have yourself a fantastic week, and we'll talk to you again next week here on the Weekly Harvest, presented by Coors Light, the official beer of the Brandon Wheat Kings. Please drink responsibly. Cheers. Be sure to follow Q Country and the Wheat Kings on Twitter and Facebook for all your Brandon Wheat Kings news. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Harvest.